This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Welcome back, everybody. I think that you are going to really appreciate this conversation that I had with Chad Peterman. He is the president and co-owner of Peterman Brothers. They work on HVAC and plumbing and electrical. And many times we think about investing in leadership and investing in development for white collar knowledge industries and not so much in the trades. And Chad is flipping that on his head and they are doing such incredible things and growing immensely. And he really is doing the work to make trades a lucrative place to be. But what I will say is regardless of the industry that you are in, There are so many cues you can take from how Chad and their organization are investing in their people. One of the things that he says is, you know, if we're not attracting and keeping good people, we have to look in the mirror and we have to really look at what are we doing to make our workplace attractive to others. We've got to look at ourselves. And there's so many other great nuggets. And before I give you one other little teaser, please make sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and rate and write a review for the episode. It makes such a great difference. And I know that my guest Chad will appreciate it as well. So some of the other things that we talk about, you might want to have a little notepad. He's got some really good nuggets, a lot of good practical things, but how they are finding people outside of the industry and really creating a candidate pool to help them grow, how they are shifting the mindset of people who were individual contributors to become leaders and really what that means and how it's so important that as a formal people leader that we go first with vulnerability. And so part of that is finding teachable moments. Part of that is really shifting into how can I help serve you? How can I help remove roadblocks? And he's done such an incredible job in an industry that seems kind of unlikely. So Without further ado, take it away, Chad. All right, Chad, I am so excited to talk to you for multiple reasons. But one of the things I just want to jump off with is so many people, when they talk about development and when they talk about investing in their people, we think about white collar knowledge industries. And what I love about your approach is your trade and you're growing and you're thriving. And we have several clients in those spaces. And when you invest in your people, it makes all the difference. It's not industry specific. It's not level specific. And you have this incredible emphasis about taking care of your people first. So can you talk about how you came to that philosophy and then how you're building that into your culture? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on and excited to talk leadership today. My dad started our company, so I'd been around it my whole life, but never really mechanically inclined. And the reason I preface my answer with that is that I think I learned it by accident. When I got into the business, not having any mechanical aptitude in the trade, the one thing I looked for was like, hey, how am I going to help build the business? And what I learned very quickly is it's a people business. And in order to continue to grow the business, we really focus on the development of our team and really putting them first and understanding that, especially in today's day and age with the millennials and so much being talked about them and 
everybody wants to be trained. And I think the one thing that, that millennials do a very good job of is forcing companies to put training top of mind. They want to come in and they want to be taught how to do something. And they want to be shown a career path that takes them from where they are now to someplace out into the future of what they want to become there. So I think it's a good time for the emphasis on training, development. And if you're a company out there and want to complain or, or moan about the lack of workforce or whatever it may be, I think that it's imperative for you to take a look in the mirror and understand, are you doing your part to create an organization where people actually want to come and where the opportunities are afforded to them to learn whatever it is that you do? And what's so interesting is that all of the various firms and organizations out there that do all the research on the trends and what's happening and workforce and whatnot, everyone's talking about the incredible need for upskilling and reskilling, regardless of industry. And so I think that what's so interesting is that when budgets are tight, when the economy is shrinking, a lot of times training and development, learning and development are the first things to get cut. And what I have found is in the forward-thinking, effective organizations that ride out the ups and downs of the market, that have that long-term perspective, they almost doubled down and said, this is the time for us to reimagine and rethink and then help develop our people accordingly. And so I love that you are taking that approach. The other thing that I love about the approach that you take is so often you hear, well, our customer is first or our patient is first. Whoever that end buyer is, is first. And I know Simon Sinek blows that out of the water all the time, as do many other people and say, no, like, why are you putting your employees like number two or number three down the list? And you have a philosophy that if you take care of your people first, they will take care of the customer. Tell me how you show that and how that has actually benefited you. I think it goes back to what you were just talking about of when times get tough, training and development often gets cut. And I think that gets cut at organizations that view training and development as a cost rather than an investment. It's how much can we pour into our people. And I often refer to my job as the leader of the organization to create a platform to where everybody in the organization can be as successful as their dreams can take them. And so we are continually developing resources, whether it be our leadership academy Back in 2020, we created the Peterman Top Tech Academy, where we're training people from outside the industry to be HVAC technicians and plumbing technicians. Here soon, we'll train them to be HVAC install technicians and electricians here at the back half of this year. But it's been extremely rewarding to give somebody an opportunity and to give them kind of the keys to their own career. And so we have really invested in that that side of our business. And I think what we're finding is that investment, like you said, it's there's times when most people probably would have thought we were crazy investing in a school and, and trying to stand that up in, in 2020 of all years. But we also saw our industry in the residential service space continuing to grow as more people stayed home and, and things like that. And while the economy was uncertain, what we were certain about is that there's a lot of great people out there. They just need the skills to flourish in our industry. You've created quite a buzz around it because didn't you tell me that 
it's paid. And you've got incredible amounts of people applying for very limited spots. I mean, that really speaks, I think, volumes to what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. It has been really kind of eye-opening to see. We're on class number four right now. We have 26 students training right now. Yes, they are all paid as full-time employees, and they are for the entirety of their six-month training program. So we understood it's one thing for for you to take on an extra class at night or whatever it may be, but we also know that people have lives and they have bills and all this stuff. And if they're going to learn the trade, then we need to support them in doing that, not just expect them to take on a second job learning when they probably have families and different things like that. So it's completely paid. What we have seen and what we continue to see is well over a thousand applications per class. Here in September, we'll start a new class. I think we'll have 45 technicians training starting September 1st. But in that, I think that the application count right now is over about 1,200 for those 45 spots. So extremely selective in one, based on how many technicians we can actually take on. But I think the the sheer number of applications points to the fact that I don't know that it's the trade specifically that's attractive. I think it's the fact that we're going to pay you to learn is the interesting part, especially as we get into a time where that secondary education and is college for everybody and all of these things that are brought up so frequently, we're kind of just saying, here's the deal. College may be or may not be for you. However, we're going to provide a place that's attractive to people to come and start their career. And I think too often we want to blame the people out there for not knowing this or not being skilled or whatever it is. And and I think we've all just got to really look in the mirror and say, what are we doing to be attractive? If people aren't coming to the trades, what is it about the trades that people don't want to be a part of? And then how do we make that really attractive for them to say, oh, well, that sounds like a heck of a deal. I want to sign up for that. I love that. And you're right, because I think with college debt getting out of control. I mean, I have multiple degrees, so I'm not dissing college by any means, but there is. Like, I've seen a lot of our friends, kids that are going off to college and some, they're like, I don't know if that's for me, or they start and they're like, yeah, you know what? I don't know that I want to take on all that debt. And I, I look at their parents and do we want to have that? I think there is this shift or this reevaluation that people are having, whatever's going to be a fit for them. The other thing that I, I think what you're doing is so profound is that I can think of multiple industries, healthcare being one, but there are so many positions that they are struggling, rooming staff, which are like medical assistants. When you go to the doctor's office and they bring you in across the industry, like people are like not going into that. And so trying to be creative of, well, how do we fill those roles and how do we train them? And so there's a shortage of labor. And so what I really think is ingenious about what you're doing is that regardless of industry, you're like, Hey, you know what? If there's a labor shortage, if we need people to fill these roles, well, are they going to fall from the sky? Are you waiting for magical pixie dust? Or are you going to reimagine your organization and create these opportunities? And I can hear people, the naysayers saying, yeah, but okay, we're going to pay these people. And then like, what? What if they're not a fit? Or what if we don't end up hiring them? Or this whole thing of like the what's in it for me versus like, oh my gosh, we're going to invest. But how else do you create opportunities for people? How else do you work through this turnover tsunami, which didn't just start with a pandemic, that just pushed it over the edge. It's been coming for a long time. 
And you don't just have that training program for people who want to get into the trade. You also, once they're in there, invest. So talk about what you do while you're there. I know you have like a leadership academy and I love how you think about leadership. So talk a little bit about how your leadership academy came to be and how that fits into how you operate. I appreciate you asking about that. It's something that we created a couple of years ago, right before maybe COVID. And so it kind of got off to a rocky start just because we didn't have a lot of people in the building. And so we've really re-energized this initiative. And we do that in conjunction with a, a class that I teach called Future Leaders. We teach it here at our main location in Greenwood. And then we also teach it at all, all of our other branches as well. But as it relates to our outlook on leadership and growing our people as leaders, I've always, one of our core values is lead ourselves. And what I tell our people is you can't lead anybody else until you lead yourself. And so we talk a lot about personal habits and different things like that. And how are you showing up? And do you have a morning routine? And all of these things that probably typically aren't talked about in our industry. And we want to expose people to those. And so we built the Leadership Academy around, essentially, it is a five-level program filled with activities and tasks and all kinds of things that not only build the leader in the professional setting, but also build a better leader at home. So there's different things in there like volunteer activities and leading the activities here at work and hosting all kinds of things that hopefully will expose them to tenets of leadership and what we're doing. So to me, that is one of my largest responsibilities as the leader is to set the leadership culture. And if we can set a culture in which people understand that everybody can be a leader each and every day by simply reaching out and helping a customer or a teammate or whatever it may be, then we're all going to be better for that. As I always tell our people, leadership is super simple. It is show up ready to help serve someone else. And when we can all be serving each other, we create a really powerful organization. And that's not typical of, of human nature, right? We're all designed to look out for our own self-interest and protect ourselves and, and things like that. And so we're, we're always quick to categorize leadership is not often comfortable. It's about getting comfortable with the discomfort. And we really love to really push each other in challenging situations and, and hopefully get better each and every day. I love so many things about what you just said. So I want to start with the last part of it's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And one of the things that I've learned from my work is that when you are inviting people to work on themselves, when you're asking them to show up with that spirit of service, when you're asking them to lean into the discomfort, you're basically asking them to be vulnerable, which is a really unsettling place to be. And we know that so many people avoid that vulnerability at all costs and instead self-protect, armor up. What have you done to normalize that and make it safe for people to show up more fully in their imperfect humanness, if you will? Yeah, I think that's so critical. Because especially in typical of the trades is everybody thinks of rough and tough guy and blue collar and getting dirty and all of this stuff. And so vulnerability doesn't often uh, coincide with those 
I guess, as feelings about our industry. And so the one thing that I've done, and it relates back to what I talked about or a little bit early about leading ourselves is every other Friday, I'm teaching for an hour. And it's simply about what I'm learning, what I'm doing. And so to me, the biggest thing that I can do to make it a safe place is to talk about some of my own faults, talk about some of the things that I'm working on. A lot of it relates back to it's a heck of a lot easier to be a leader in the workplace than it is to be a leader at home. And so how are we better at home for our families? And then how does that translate into our careers? And so I talk a lot about the struggles that I go through on a daily basis and things that I'm working on or things that I've stumbled on in the past. And to me, I hope that that lends itself to, hey, while he may be the leader, he's still struggling with this stuff too. So it's okay. And, oh, here's a suggestion or two of like what helped me or what I've tried and didn't work so well, but it may work for you or whatever that may be. I think that that's important to show your vulnerability as the leader if you are tasked with leading people. And to me, that lends itself to creating that culture of it's okay not to be perfect. That's so important because there's so many people that have this mindset This kind of, I'm going to say old school, and I wouldn't even call it leadership, old school management mentality that is right. I have to show up and I have to have it all together and I have to be strong for my team. And that if I show vulnerability, that's a sign of weakness. It's such the opposite when we create what I've noticed when we create spots and you show up authentically human and you say, oh, I'm struggling today or oh, I messed up or that didn't go well. It's the opposite of what our our need for self-protection would have us believe that people tend to lean in actually and their defenses come down and they respond with empathy and curiosity typically. And when you have formal people leadership responsibilities, I'm a firm believer that you have to go first, right? Because you set the tone for psychological safety. You set the tone for the culture. How have you noticed people responding by you really showing up more authentically human for them as a leader? That has been a journey of mine. So we take all of the content that I have and put it on our podcast can't stop the growth. And if you listen to some of my early stuff, it is me as a, I guess I would have been maybe late 20s, early 30s, like trying to be a, a essentially a machine. Like, hey, I can do this. I'm doing all of this stuff. And, and you were doing it, hopefully, I think, to maybe inspire others. Like, hey, if I can do it, you can do it type of thing. And what I learned, and and most of this, I think, was brought on by having kids, is that, yeah, people respond a lot more to you just being human. Like, hey, I'm really tired. My kids were up all night last night. Oh, okay, I get that too. But you know what? I'm going to pull it together, and I'm going to get through these meetings and knock this thing out, and we're going to make, we're going to have a really great day. And for me, that's been more of a, it's obviously easier to do because most people can relate to kids and being married and all of that stuff. And so I've tried to really bring that out in a lot of the teaching that I do is that life isn't perfect. And like, yeah, it is early. And yeah, I'm tired. And yeah, but we're going to try to learn something and try to get better right now. And so for me, that has been one of the things that early on in my kind of career and understanding of leadership, it was that it was, hey, no chink in the armor, like you got to be on your game all the time. And 
the one thing I, I felt like I got people to respond more when I was more authentic. I mean, it wasn't that I was being inauthentic. It was just that I was trying to live up to something that was somewhat unattainable. Not even the best of the best don't wake up on the right side of the bed every single morning. So just understanding that it's okay to have those feelings and to be running late every once in a while or whatever it may be, it's just part of life. I'm curious, what was the impetus behind the shift of, like you said, your early podcast of just, hey, having it all together to realizing, hey, maybe maybe I, I need to show more of my human side. Like, Was there something that allowed for that shift for you? I think it was just feedback that I got from our team that when I'd be talking or talking about something and you get feedback of like, hey, I think a lot of people really related to that. Or, hey, I really enjoyed you talking about that. Or, hey, that really hit home for me. And it was just those small comments where they probably didn't have any ulterior motive. They were just simply saying how it made them feel. And I think I I started to take inventory of those times. And that was, for me, it was, who is, is your teaching serving you? I mean, is it just you up there talking about all these things that you're trying to do and trying to create and all of this? Or is it truly about affecting others? And in order to affect others, you've got to connect with them. It's not simply about, well, did you listen to all that great stuff that I talked about? It's, well, what do I need to, how do I need to craft my message so that it connects with you or resonates with you? I love that you're creating that space because I think that whether someone formally teaches training programs or does workshops or anything like that, we all have teachable moments. We have teachable moments with our kids. We have teachable moments with our friends. We have teachable moments with our colleagues. And so I love that you are teaching people to show up as a leader, both at home and at work. And what I'm taking away from this is just, can we all find those teachable moments in our day, right? That can I be of service to somebody else? And this is really about them And my ego needs to just kind of take a back seat because this isn't about me. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's the the one thing that I teach as far as people transitioning from an individual contributor role to a manager where they're overseeing people is that you may have been the best technician money can buy out there as an individual contributor. And you may have known it and it was all about you fixing the problem and all of this stuff. And what I'm going to tell you is that you're going to have to shift in order to be a great manager into giving up complete control. And when you talk to a plumber about giving up complete control of the repair and how something should be fixed, the look on their face is one of extreme concern because it's like, well, no one knows how to fix it. Like I know how to fix it. Like I know all of this. And I said, well, you're going to have to give that up because you can't run every call. You can't do it. You're going to have 20 plumbers out there running four calls a day. That's 80 calls that you're not going to be on. And unfortunately, you're going to have to figure out how you support each one of them. And each one of those 20 is going to need support in a different fashion. And so you need to take off your plumbing tool belt and put on your leadership tool belt And that is full of situations that are going to be extremely, extremely uncomfortable for you because you are a master plumber. You've been doing this for 20 years. But if you want to lead this group of people, this is what you're going to have to do. It's not about you. It's not about how much plumbing knowledge you have. It's about your willingness to support those that you're leading. That's so important because I don't care what industry and trade it is, a plumber, a teacher 
a lawyer, a physician, a customer service rep, a truck driver, like the list goes on and on. And then oop, now you're in some kind of formal leadership role, manager, supervisor, whatever the title is, doesn't matter. And then we expect that they're just going to no, or they give them what I call some really leadership basics 101. Here's how you do their time cards or here's how you do performance reviews, but that you don't, it's a shift of mindset, right? It's that shift of that I'm doing all the, the day-to-day work to know my job is actually to support other people who get the work. It doesn't mean that I don't have my own stuff to do, but it's shifting to the work of, of leadership. And so I love that intentionality that you're, you're putting to that because it reminds me of it reminds me of many years ago. I was at an organization that shall not be named, and I got into a a bit of a tiff with the CEO at the time because we were talking about the consulting model, and he said to me, "Rosie, the problem with your model is it's not scalable. You can't be everywhere." And I looked at him and I said, "It's not about me. This model is scalable when you develop other people." to consult in this way, that's how you grow. And he looked at me and said, I disagree. And I'm like, well, <laughs> so hence I'm not there anymore. And we've developed hundreds of people now to go out and consult. But it's like, when you develop others, that's the only way you scale and grow. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had a ton of success. We have managers that have spent time in the industry out performing the trade and are unbelievable tradespeople. They can do it with the best of them. And they've They've had to learn that other set of skills of, of developing their teams. And we've also had a lot of people come from outside our industry that don't necessarily need to know the technical background. As you say, it's all about serving others. And I think that goes both ways. I think our teams have done a tremendous job of welcoming those managers in. Because there was a time here that if you would have brought in somebody from the outside, they would have said, well, they don't know anything about plumbing. What are they going to teach me? It's like, well, it's not about teaching you plumbing. It's really about understanding that I trust you to be a great plumber. I'm here to support you in any possible way that I can. Whether that's you need a part, whether that's you need something done, whether that's you need an obstacle removed. I've led a number of the departments here over the years. And the one thing I tell them right out the bat is, hey, don't call me for any technical advice because I can't give it to you. But what I can do is I can remove every obstacle out of your way so that you can be the best, whatever it is, humanly possible. So that is my job here. I just want to get clear on our job responsibilities. And if you have an obstacle, I need you to call me so I can get it out of your way. If every single person in a formal people leadership role took on that mentality, man, we wouldn't have movies like Bad Bosses (laughs) and, you know, The Office. And all the ones yeah. that we love to laugh at and spoof because they're so cringy because there's so much truth to them. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, so I appreciate everything you've shared. And I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. You talked about being more authentic and talking about struggling. And one of the things that I've become very passionate about in the work I do is recognizing the common humanity that we all have and trying to normalize it a little bit. And I've learned no matter how much work we do on ourselves, no matter how successful we've been, however you define that, that we all still get hijacked by some childhood version, let's say 10-year-old version of ourselves, and we tell ourselves stories that keep us safe and small. And so what I would love, if you'd be willing to share, Chad, is what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes? And when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader in your life? I think if there's any story that I tell myself, it's not so much limiting, but I think back 
to a time when back in, in high school, I was very fortunate enough to play on a very successful team. And we had a number of division one players on our team. And I wasn't at the time in any place to do that. But I considered myself just as good as they were, even though if you looked on paper, that was not the case. And so a lot of my life has been spent trying to overcome that, trying to prove that wrong. And while it's helped me in some instances of my life, shooting for big goals, not being afraid to, to dream big, it also can limit me because I can lose sight of what's really important. And oftentimes you'll get going at something, whether it be work or a big goal or something like that, and then you lose sight of the things or take it out on people that really didn't have anything to do with it. And why should they be a victim of your 17-year-old self, that the guy who thought he knew everything but really didn't? And so to me, that's one of the things that sometimes have to check myself, and my wife does a, a pretty good job at it as well. But just understanding that there's more to life than achieving goals and setting big dreams. And there's times just to enjoy life and to just take life for what it is and rest and settle down. There's just, you can go so long, but ultimately burnout is probably around the corner. So to me, my advice for people is dream big, set big goals, but also realize that you don't have to push at 100% all the time or else you're going to let a lot of life pass you by. Absolutely. Well, and I am so appreciative of that because so many of the leaders and executives that I have coaching relationships with, I mean, they haven't gotten to where they are without being achievement-oriented and accomplishing things, and it has a cost. And I think that you know people on the outside can go, oh, they have it all. And what they don't realize is on the inside, they're struggling or they're a mess or they're burnt out or their relationships are suffering because they're looking externally for those achievements or the proving people wrong or whatever it is. I'm, I'm trying to you know, make up for something when I was 17 or 15 and it's slowly like killing them. And so I, I think that that's such great advice to kind of check that is, am I acting for my adult rational self or am I acting in your case for my 17 year old self? And so that's fantastic. Yep. All right. Are you ready for some quick questions? Let's do it. Fantastic. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is... Being yourself. Bam. Love it. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Think of all of those that you could make an impact on. What's something people would be surprised to know about you? Surprised to know about me. I went to one of only two all-male colleges in the country. Wow. Which one is that? Wabash College. All right. All right. What is your favorite go-to movie? Oh, I feel like I don't watch a lot of movies anymore. It's all like shows and series and stuff like that. But if I had to say go-to movie, I really like The Social Network, the Facebook movie. I haven't seen that one, but I want to. Yeah. It's a good one. I can watch that. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, anything about like people like building things and when I said series, I think a lot about like the really good ones are like the music ones. Those I have not a musical bone in my body, but watching someone like create a song that 
is listened to by millions and millions of people and you watch them like do it on like the back of their tour bus just like one like word at a time it's the craziest thing i've ever seen yeah i always wanted like yeah i don't have that talent either so i i am amazed i'm like half the time i'm listening to songs i'm like how do they come up with that yeah which is actually a really good segue into the next question what is your go-to song what is my go-to song so right now uh, my daughter should be four here i guess this may air after her birthday, but at the end of August. So we listened to uh, We Will Rock You by Queen. Oh my God, I love it. Usually about four or five times a morning. So right now, that's our go-to song right now. We get real pumped up in the morning. Yeah. I love that Freddie Mercury would be so happy. Yeah. My son's now 11. He'll be 12 this fall. As he started to love songs, I actually created, I called it his favorite tunes, and I just kept adding to it. And now he's like, take some of those off. I go, no, because this is a timestamp in history that will remind me. So there's my little tip. Create a playlist. Yep. Sort of those memories because, oh, my God, that is so, I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. Okay. What's something you can't live without? Something I can't live without. I don't know. That's a good question. I guess if we're talking like material item probably my bed. I do enjoy sleeping. It doesn't have to be a material item. I say something lightly. So it could yeah. Be, but yeah. Yeah. Beds are especially a good comfortable bed. Ah. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right. What's something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? Probably a clean house. I'm kind of a neat freak. I can appreciate that. I actually get so happy when I walk into a room and it's clean and I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially with two kids running around. There aren't many rooms in our house that are clean. So when I see one that's clean, it, it looks good. Love it. I can totally appreciate that. And last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? What am I grateful for right now? I am grateful for my relationship with my wife. She is quite unbelievable and she just, is always trying to make us better, which is sometimes something I need after talking about my story and what I have to kind of put in the rear view sometimes. She's always there to remind me of, of what's most important and how grateful we should be for all that we have. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So Chad, if you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior, that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? Stop telling people what to do and find out how you can be of support to them. Find out where they're struggling and offer your help. Being a leader is not instructing people on what tasks to do. It's being there to hold them up as they try to do them themselves. And that's how we empower people. And that's ultimately how you grow people and grow organizations. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com. And of course, hit that follow button. 